Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. You come out going shopping when you owe somebody money, Johnny. That ain't right. How much you got there? Sorry, I'm going to pay him next week. I'm going to pay you. The hell are you? Well, I'm this here private investigator who was sent here this afternoon to uh, find you, but the good doctor here dummied up. It's just, it's too far. My lord, did you just say a serious musician? I don't think so. He called you a cowboy. What did he mean? What are you? Just a humble bounty hunter, ma'am. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in on the Hurtastic Podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm very excited for today's episode. It's about a topic I've really been wanting to talk about. And we're going to also talk about a movie that uh, I recently saw. Uh, But first, I want to thank everyone uh, for tuning in. The last episode we had, which was on Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. If you download it, if you listen to it, uh, I'm just really happy that uh, you tuned in and and gave me a listen. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. And uh, if you'd love to continue giving me your support, I'm totally down for that. So uh, before we get started with today's podcast, I have a special guest today, and he's a really dear friend of mine, and you might notice his voice if you've followed what I've been doing on other podcasts, but it is the host of Cobwebs, uh, a gothic cinema podcast. It's the host. It's Daniel. Daniel, say hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me on here, Chris. This will be fun to talk about something besides horror movies. <laughs> I, I didn't like that tone. You, you like talking about horror movies, don't I, you? Oh, I love it. But this will be fun to do something different. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm really excited. When, when you uh, wanted to hop in on this episode and the suggestions you made, I was really excited about it. I was like, okay, I, I thought my episode was going to be okay. But with you, I think it's kind of spiced it up a little bit. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about cinema icon and Twitter phenomenon, uh, Martin Scorsese. Uh, if you haven't been following Martin Scorsese lately, he made a few comments uh, that's been blowing up on hashtag film Twitter, I guess, and has been pissing off a lot of Marvel fanboys. And But you know, before we get started, I just want to real quick get my top five Scorsese movies. So number five, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. <laughs> number four, Captain America's First Avenger. <laughs> number three, Avengers and... What? Why are you laughing? <laughs> What's, no. the, what, what's wrong? Well, I was going to say, I like Scorsese's Guardians of the Galaxy 1 over 2 more, but we can agree to disagree on that. Yeah, better De Niro performance <laughs> in that one. Well, I like Ray Liotta going crazier in that movie and being absent in the second one. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're joking. I feel like everyone knows about this whole... It's not even... Is it a controversy? I, I don't really know. It's more like uh, like laughing out loud at people who can't handle their emotions. But uh, Scorsese had some comments about uh, the MCU and kind of what its impact on... on cinema really is and uh, we're gonna dive into that a little bit and then later on we're gonna talk about our top five favorite Scorsese movies so uh, tune in for that we're also going to talk about um, a new movie from Scorsese we recently saw this weekend which was The Irishman Daniel what did you think oh man Irishman thoughts Uh, you know I I really liked it Um, I thought the last hour was a little overkill for me I I get the point that he was trying to make and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do spoilers but I did think it took too long to make the point, um, but I found the movie very entertaining. I, I found myself liking it more in my head as yesterday I was reading a bunch about Frank Sheeran and Jimmy Hoffa and, and learning about their actual real-life lives. I mean, and, you know, I just barely scratched the surface. Like, there are books written on them that I'm, I might be interested to check out because uh, their lives are really interesting. And it kind of makes me want to watch The Irishman again at least those first two and a half hours because it is three and a half hours. Uh, you know, I, I don't watch parts of movies. I'm lying. I can't actually yeah. do that. But <laughs> but it's going to be on Netflix on Wednesday. So I'm interested to check it out again. Maybe not super soon. But I liked it. 
Mm -hmm. I did. And I really loved uh, Al Pacino in it. Yeah, no, I agree. Al Pacino was amazing. We went to go uh, to the Moxie Theater in Springfield, Missouri to go see it. It was the only theater that was showing it, and uh, Daniel made the drive down for it. So that's dedication, one. And two, to watch a a three-and-a-half-hour movie after that drive uh, is something spectacular. And I agree with him. I really liked the movie, too. I had a few, uh, kind of a few, not issues, really, but just a few things I didn't care for as much as maybe he did, and we went with uh, my other roommate, Seth, as well. It was just a good time. Uh, but we'll talk about that just a little bit later. Just wanted to get some first thoughts there before. But first, we're going to talk about basically what Scorsese has said and has caused this whole division within movies, I would say, with the uh, MCU uh, fanboys and, and just the fans of them. And then like uh, kind of with the cinephiles, I feel like, who are defending Scorsese and just like basic people who are like, hey, he has an opinion. Just leave him alone. Uh, so Scorsese, what he said in the interview, it was in early October. I have it here and I'll, I'll read it so then you can have your own opinions on it. And it was for the Irishman. He was promoting it, obviously. And this is what he said. He goes, for the Irishman, I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest I think can think of them as well that were made as the others, but with actors doing their best they can under the circumstances is like theme parks. Uh, isn't, is, isn't the cinema of human beings being trying to convey emotions or psychological experiences to another human being? That's it. That's the quote right there. And that's what's gotten people so upset. He's talking about how those movies aren't conveying the same types of, I would say, experiences that more like art house and, and, and really deep cinema movies are doing. And I think to be upset about that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, Danny, I don't know. If you heard those quotes, what would you think of that? Well, I am a Marvel fan. I really like the universe. I've seen all of the movies in theaters, and I intend to keep seeing all of them in theaters probably until I have a kid. Um, and I'm certainly not prepared to come on here and make an argument for why they're not cinema. Mm -hmm. But when I heard the comments, it did sort of immediately make sense to me because I've always known that I find it nearly impossible to rank MCU movies with any other kind of movie or really compare them as the same kind of thing. Like I have trouble putting MCU movies in top 10 lists because where on earth does it go? <laughs> and when I, when I think of like my top superhero movies, I almost have separate lists in my head, MCU and everything else. And I, I'm not sure quite why that is. It may be because the movies, I don't know. Like, I want to say, like, they don't stand alone, like they're part of a big universe. But Star Wars movies don't necessarily stand alone either. And I absolutely consider those to be cinema. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the difference is, to be honest. Like, I, I'm not going to say that the characters in MCU movies don't have human experiences or emotions or blah, blah, blah. But I know that's not the main point because the main point is is to be cool and action. And I, and I recognize really the main point of, of MCU movies is to see a hero be super cool. Yeah, no, I agree That's really that. what it is. Yeah, it's funny when we talk about, because, you know, we always try to talk about, like, our MCU movies and how you rank them and stuff like that. And then it becomes, like, discussions and then arguments and then jokes all around. But, yeah, I don't, it's such an interesting time where these movies are coming out with, like, other really great art house films. And there's just simply no way of comparing them. You can't list them. You can't, you know let them mesh together. They're kind of like their own things. And I think that's so cool. Uh, when Scorsese, he calls them like a theme park. I think people took a lot of offense to that. And I, I, I guess if you want to look at it as a derogative way of calling these movies all flash and like a one ride and that's it and you get off, then like, I mean, I don't know. To some people, those movies mean a lot. So I feel like when they get defensive, they're coming from an emotional point of view. They're not coming from a point of like, 
understanding what this grand scope of like movie making is and like the different type of things that go into it. Uh, but I'm not saying like any of like when it comes to like directing with those Marvel movies, there there's some really great directors who made those movies. Um, like you have Taika Waititi, you know, James Gunn, just to name a few. And I, I mean, even uh, who did Black Panther, Ryan, uh, Coogler. Ryan Coogler, who did the Creed movies, which are amazing as well. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, it's a really hard argument to make for one side or the other. Uh, I know some people will just say, hey, it's just an older man with older opinions. Just let him say what he wants to say. But the big thing after is that other actors were going after him. And then other directors were coming out saying very similar kind of opinions as him. Like the Fran- like Francis Ford Coppola, I believe, also came out and said something a little more transgressive than him. But uh, and, and I think uh, the, the director of Parasite uh, also said something of similar sorts against the caution of MCU movies and what they have for the future of filmmaking. There's one foreign cinema director. I wish I could remember his name, but I can't, but I loved his comment on Marvel movies. His criticism was they're basically not sexy enough. <laughs> and he's just like human sexuality is part of human experience. And there's not enough sexuality. Oh man. I, I, when it comes to foreign audiences, the, the American audiences can't really understand that. <laughs> I definitely agree. But I think ultimately like Scorsese's real issue is they're taking over too much of the industry and it's too hard to, and, and like it's getting harder to see anything that's not one of these movies in a theater. Yeah. Like I'm very grateful that I have a small independent movie theater in my town, so I get to see a lot of the movies that people, other people don't get to see because they don't come to main theaters. Like it's crazy that Jojo Rabbit, Parasite, did, weren't coming to the main theaters around me. Like why not? But they're not. But they are coming to that little theater. So I'm blessed to have that, but a lot of other people don't. Yeah, and that, that and it just becomes a bigger discussion about just what the future of filmmaking is going to look like and who's getting those opportunities because it seems like if you're an independent filmmaker, you better hope that Disney and Marvel tap you on the shoulder to to make one of their movies because they gave a lot of opportunities to up-and-coming directors. You, you get some other directors who want to try more of the art house route where they go and they, they do like A24 films and, and they shine and become something spectacular there. So I guess like this, the landscape of how to break into the industry is becoming more competitive and harder. And I think people kind of accredit the MCU in a way for doing that because it literally makes so much money. And I, I remember, Danny, you and I have these discussions sometimes where it's like, remember the 90s, like some of these normal films would come out and it makes a decent amount of money and you don't get those anymore. They either have to break some sort of like box office record or they just kind of fade into nothing, right? Yeah, I miss the 90s, even though like I was very young during the 90s. But going back to watch 90s films, like you just got such incredibly fun, entertaining movies that are just about normal people living their lives. I mean, I I often talk about one of my favorite genres of film is 90s Matt Damon movies. (laughs) You got Goodwill Hunting, The Rainmaker, Rounders, The Count (coughs) of Mr. Ripley. Like, watch any of these movies. Just have such a fun time. And, you know, the movies like that are becoming more and more rare today. Good stuff is coming out. It's just getting a little harder to find, and it's often getting smaller budgets. Right. And I think we have to understand what the context is. Like, I, I think it's easy to attack MCU movies because they make so much money. They're so embedded in, in, in the mainstream now. And remember, like, at a time, like, you know, it used to be called a nerd. I mean, Peter Parker used to get picked on for being a nerd, and he becomes a superhero. I, I, you know, I felt like now is the time more than ever that you can embrace those pop culture icons more because it's in such a mainstream um, environment now. So one, on one hand, you have to be excited for those things, but at, at the other hand, you have to kind of see what's, what's going on. You know, these kind of movies that we, we grew up, you know, around, 
uh, aren't coming out as often anymore. And you better hope, like I said, like you, you better hope your movies make more than what your budget was worth, else you probably might not get a second shot at making another movie, which stinks because if people liked your movie, uh, they might not get that opportunity again. Um, but, you know, and the other big thing I have a problem with, and I know other people do too, is with the Scorsese comments, a lot of uh, people are attacking him now for not, you know, basically saying, if you have a problem with uh, the, the industry, why don't you go out and fix it? Why don't you, like, you know, go and fund independent films? Oh, and those stuff? people are idiots. Right. He does, He folks. does so much. He, he, he funds foreign directors for their foreign pictures and brings them to light, which they would never have. He's promoting... Yeah, Scorsese's foreign, film, uh, foreign cinema project. Yeah, and he also brings like up and coming directors. He gives them a chance. He he, uh, the director of uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Scorsese endorsed him to so he can have that movie. And if you haven't seen it, I think it's really great. You know, Chris, what will be a great argument against these people criticizing Scorsese is talking about some great Scorsese movies. I, yeah, well, isn't Joker one of them technically? Because they all seem to think so. I'm pretty sure it's a Scorsese movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, people were more interested in Scorsese. Uh, interviews on why he declined to be a part of the Joker movie than like what his filmography actually is. Sure. I, I, and that's another thing, you know, something like Joker, it's so, it's so funny. Joker came out and then these Scorsese comments came out and then the Irishman came out. It's like, it's like people are like wanting to argue against Scorsese, but I think we all just missed him and wanted him to come out. And I think the only way we could bring him out is by putting some negativity on him so we can talk about some more. Cause it's been a decent amount of time since his last movie came out. Um, it's it's actually only been three years. Is it three Silence years? Was twenty sixteen? Was it twenty six? Oh man, I thought it was twenty thirteen. Uh, uh, Wolf of Wall Street was twenty thirteen. Oh okay, yeah. okay, I got those mixed. He's up. been making a movie every three years. Yeah, and they're both. Uh, you know, all his movies are definitely over about a two hours long. So. <laughs> Yeah, man, he's a lot harder to go through the filmography than like Igmar Bergman because his movies are so long. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, with Bergman, you know, you're gonna get 90 minutes straight to the point, Most good of the stuff. Time. Yeah, and then with Scorsese, you you know, you get at, at hopefully that two hour mark. Else, it's probably not a Scorsese movie. Uh, but no, that's just kind of our opinions on that. If you have opinions on that too, feel free to. Uh, uh, share your opinions on Twitter, where I, I'm always on there, and Daniel's podcast, Cobwebs, as well. Uh, if you if you want to also like check out our other website, I'll put a link of his uh, down below in the comment section. What we're going to move on to next is we're going to talk a little bit about The Irishman, and then after we will talk about our favorite Scorsese movies. Uh, but I will say, well, there'll be some spoilers in this review. Uh, it won't be a full-length review, just kind of giving our more in-depth thoughts and opinions on it. Hello? Hey, my friend, I got that kid I was talking to you about here. I'm gonna put him on the phone and let you talk to him, okay? Hello? Is that Frank? Yes. Hiya, Frank, this is Jimmy Hoffa. Glad to meet you. Glad to meet you, too, even if it's over the phone. Our friend speaks very highly of you. Thank you. Only three people in the world have one of these. And only one of them is Irish. I heard you paint houses. No, no, please. No, no, Frank. Yes, I do, sir. So the Irishman. Uh, I would have ranked it probably four star, four and a half stars at most uh, out of my five. I, where would you rank that? Because you're on Letterboxd like me too. Oh, I gave it a three and a half out of five. Wow, okay. But it's good. Yeah, no, there's no problem with that. Threes are good, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, I like it. 
I gave it this, uh, the four star because, man, it's just a well-made movie. Like, when you put so much effort, I kept thinking when I was watching, I was like, my gosh, what's, what's the script look like for this kind of movie? Like, imagine how much effort was put into this movie. And I think that alone with the effort, I think it's really important when you watch movies, you have to think about somebody made this movie. When you saw Barry Lyndon, you, you, you said something I really liked is when you said, I can't believe a human being was, po- was like able to make this movie happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I agree. And that's kind of like how it felt with The Irishman. And it's a love letter to those actors of the 90s with like Al Pacino, De Niro, and Joe Pesci. Uh, heck, even Ray Romano. Uh, as well, but no. Oh, I love him in this movie. Yeah, yeah, Ray's good at it, but man, no call up for Ray Liotta. I guess he burned a bridge or something. I yeah, I don't know. Like it would have nice been nice to get a little cameo. Yeah, I thought about him too. Oh, Harvey Keitel was in it too. Yes, barely in it, but he was in it. Uh, but it was more of like a historical crime drama than more of that's more meditated and for. I feel like people who've gone through the Scorsese movies more than just a hard hitting great like goodfellas type of movie i would say wouldn't you think yeah this movie um you know there are parts of goodfellas that feel like he's glorifying a gangster lifestyle <clears throat> he's obviously not because the movie has a second half where it's the consequences but it, scorsese understands the appeal and he understands why ray Liotta's character got involved in this and in The Irishman, it's really never glorified. Like, even the violence is really quick and upsetting. Um, nobody really gets anything particularly good out of their violence. And uh, it's just not – and it's not as heavily stylized as Goodfellas is. Yeah. No, I agree there. And it's so much more embedded in, like, his, in, like, in American history, which I can't really remember much outside from Raging Bull being, like, a biopic um, and Goodfellas happening at that one point in time. Uh, I can't really remember when he's ever tackled something like this. Um, but yeah, this movie literally follows uh, this one man, Rob, played by De Niro, who basically is part of this mob and also following the rise and fall of uh, union organizer Jimmy Hoffa, who both Daniel and I really didn't know much about. We watched the movie, but after the movie ended, I would say he was definitely our favorite character, played by Al Pacino. He was amazing in this movie. And, you know, I kind of liked that. I felt like, you know, for a movie for his, at his age... I really liked it. It was kind of like a retelling of history for younger audiences that maybe didn't know what was happening at that time. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, I also really like um, the conflict, the, the conflicting relationships that De Niro's character has with Joe Pesci and uh, Al Pacino in the movie, too. Uh, I would also say that this is also Al Pacino's first film with Scorsese, which is crazy to think about at that age and at this time it came out that it took so long for that to happen. But I'm happy it did. Oh, yeah, me too. And... Um, and it- I feel like um, Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro's de-aging is more obvious because we get to see them de-aged and we see them as as they look now, really old men. Mm -hmm. But for Al Pacino, we pretty much just see him de-aged the whole time. So for me, it was less obvious. Like, I could barely tell that Al Pacino was, like, changed or anything. Same thing with Harvey Keitel because, like, I couldn't tell (laughs) if Harvey Keitel was CGI de-aged or if he's just looking really good right now. I couldn't tell you. I want to say he's looking pretty good right now. He's always been a handsome guy. This is true. Uh, but, yeah, the movie's three and a half hours long, and it, like I said, it talks about this man, uh, it, it, Robert De Niro's character, who is just going through the mob life and kind of talking about what his his rise to the top without really being, like, hungry for it, which is interesting because, like, I felt like in, like, Goodfellas, and I, I, this is the closest movie to compare it to, I felt like Henry's character really was hungry to go up the ranks of the mob life, and it glamorized it, and he was doing the favors for people, and he was he was rewarded after. In this movie, De Niro's just trying to 
I wouldn't say try to stay alive because I never thought his life was threatened, but I felt like he saw an opportunity to improve his, his and his family's life. And he took it, and then after that, it's just a true family relationship he has with these people. Yeah, he's very much the kind of guy that if he decides that you are his friend, he's going to be extremely loyal to you. Yeah, which is a theme you see in a lot of Scorsese movies, 100%. Uh, and, and that's basically what this movie's about. It's, it's just talking about De Niro's character and what he had involved in history with these mob um, uh, characters. Uh, I would say Joe Pesci, he came out of retirement for this movie. Yeah. Uh, I think it really... I think the movie was really helped with him being in it as He's well. He's phenomenal in yeah. this, yeah. And man, this movie, because you know, here at the Hurtastic Podcast, I love to quote movies to annoy people, but I feel like Irishman has just enough quotes for me to annoy everybody in my group chat. You might be showing a failure to show appreciation. <laughs> oh, I, you know what? I, I think from now on, we're gonna, when somebody has something to question, I'm going to say, what do you think Jimmy Hoffa would have done? And I, then you better respond with saying, it's my union. <laughs> it's my union! Uh, one thing in in this movie that Scorsese did, also, he every character he, and there's a lot of characters he introduces for like one scene or two, he gives them the how, how they died, when they died, and how they died. Which is great, because it really fits the theme of this movie, and that completely not glorifying this lifestyle, because... Because you'll, you'll see these mob guys, like, they're looking good, they're at a fancy restaurant, they're laughing with their friends, and it'll pause and say, like, shot in the face five <laughs> times in an alleyway. And I'm like, oh my god, this lifestyle does not lead anywhere good, like, ever. Yeah, yeah. and you know what, speaking of, like, the subtlety of, like, of killing in this movie, uh, every time De Niro would run up on someone just, like, say, hey, they just pop three bullets in his head. I mean, there was this elderly lady behind us who would just always say, oh, my God, <laughs> like every single time. And I was like, I hope this isn't your first Scorsese movie. But hey, there were moments where I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, honest, yeah. when it came near the, the ending of Jimmy Hoffa, I was kind of like clinching my fist because I didn't want to see what I thought was that inevitably going to happen. happen. And, man, you know, the thing about this movie is it's also very comical. It's a very funny movie That's from Scorsese. True. Great comedy. And even up into the parts with Jim, the, the end of uh, Jimmy Hoffa, there's some funny moments where they're talking about fish in the back of a car. <laughs> and it, you know, it's like these little moments like these that really, I think, make the movie stand out more than people wanting to just call it like a Goodfellas copycat because there's some more like originality in this movie than I was expecting. Yeah, it's three and a half hours and it has a lot of room to breathe. So there'll be times where people are just having conversations where they'll say things that aren't necessary for the plot, but just... Just deepen the character, and if you're the type of person that just wants to watch De Niro, Pesci, Al Pacino have conversations, this is the movie for you. <laughs> right. And it also wants you to get angry at the atrocities of American life in the 60s and 70s. This is a great year for movies about the 60s, because yeah. you got this, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, I great saw Great yeah. 60s triple feature. Yeah, I still need to see that movie. But the other two you mentioned are really great. It's, it's like the 60s was like a crazy time back then. It's almost like it was. Yeah. So I'm really happy Scorsese made this movie. Um, I wanted it to be this five out of five masterpiece that I've heard other reviewers and other people talk about with this movie. It wasn't quite that, but I still think it's a very great Scorsese movie that I think most people need to see. And if you can't see it in a theater, it's going to be on Netflix. On Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. so I don't know. I, I don't know if I could have seen the whole movie at home. I think you, you did the right call with saying we have to see it in a theater. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to make sure I gave it my full attention. Yeah, so. And that's the way Scorsese meant it to be seen, folks. Yeah, and you know, with Oscar season coming, I kept thinking, I was like, I kept thinking, how this, how's this movie going to fit with 
Oscar season. Because one, it's a Netflix movie. We saw that with Roma. But two, it's such a longer movie. I don't know if everyone's going to have the patience to see that movie. I and, think either Al Pacino or Joe Pesci will get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. And that's kind of all, I, that's all I'm predicting. And, which stinks because Scorsese is historically not well endowed in the Oscars. He He's only had one Best uh, Picture winner. And he's I think he's only had one Best Director for Raging Bull, maybe. And uh, that's about it. He's really, uh, other people have been elevated by it, but he has really not getting the credit I felt like he deserved. But yeah, I'll be very curious to see if he gets a best picture nom because Roma did. And obviously this, you know, the, uh, the conflicted, you know, arguments about Netflix movies and regular movies. And that's a whole nother argument. Uh, but yeah, I definitely recommend going to see the Irishman. So, uh, Daniel, are you ready to talk about your favorite Scorsese movies? I am ready. Okay, so I, I asked Daniel before he came on to think about some of your favorites. Um, and I think he has them. Do you want to start Start top five? Is that okay? Uh, are we doing a top five? Okay, yeah, yeah I can do it. Um, okay, so this is tough because there are definitely six that I want to name, but you'll probably name some, so it'll be okay. Okay. Um, oh, it's going to be tough. So for number five, I'm going to say After Hours. Yeah, talk about that because I you've seen it and I have it and I feel so bad about that because I hear it's awesome. It's a very rare Scorsese movie, which I think is one reason I, I picked it as my number five because it's something different to talk about. But it's a comedy and it's only about 90 minutes long. So it's a short movie for oh, Scorsese. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a, one of those one crazy night comedies where it just there's a stu- guy that's out on the town and things keep going wrong and it keeps sending him on these crazy adventures. And um, it's actually really funny, and it's a really fun movie to watch. And Rosa Rosanna Arquette is in it, and she's, like, insanely beautiful in it. And um, it, it's just one that you got to watch if you just want to watch a Scorsese movie, and you just watch, watch an incredibly well-made comedy that's going to make you laugh, that you're going to have fun watching. Yeah, it, okay, isn't it the guy, one of the guys from An American Werewolf in London, the main character? Yes, and I wish I could remember the actor's name. I should look it up. He but was yeah, the friend, right? He's the friend in American Werewolf. Yeah, that's so interesting. I didn't know it was 90 minutes long. I kept thinking it was like an 120-minute movie, and it was like this surreal kind of like late-night movie. I, I didn't know it was more comic. I didn't think it was comical. That's awesome. Uh, so, and that movie doesn't have a Blu-ray release, too. I remember we've talked about yeah, that. Yeah, it doesn't. I think, but, I think Criterion announced it. Uh, I think Criterion is in the works of trying to get it, yes. Good. So that'll be something exciting. So, all right, there's Daniel with his five. Uh, for me, I would say Raging Bull is my number five. I know more people would probably like it further down, but uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a movie you don't watch very many times, and when you do watch it, it sticks with you. Um, I think it's Robert De Niro at maybe his best because he's such a monster in this movie, and like it's pretty damn believable. And Joe Pesci phones in a very great performance. Did you say Joe Pesci phones it in? Well, he's, he's the brother. He's a supporting actor. And when I think of Joe Pesci, most people are going to think, Goodfellas. Of I don't, course. Yeah, so I think when people think Raging Bull, they forget that he's in it. Okay. And He's great in it. He's really good in it. And there's some moments in there, the scene where De Niro's asking to beat, like, to punch him, really tough scene, abusive relationships there. Uh, Scorsese gives you everything you want to know about toxic masculinity, and I feel like Raging Bull is the best that shows it. And that one, that takes a lot of talent to show that. But two, I think it's just a really well-made movie. The boxing scenes, the black and white, the opening scene is so amazing. There's a quote I found uh, where when Brian De Palma saw Raging Bull, he said, he said, fucking Scorsese, excuse my language, because he just thought it was such a magnificent opening and he was already tuned in. So uh, Raging Bull, I would say, is my number five. 
Uh, what about you? What's your number four, Daniel? Um, Raging Bull is good. It's just incredibly upsetting for me, and I don't enjoy watching it. Like, Scorsese is good at making fun movies about bad people, but Raging Bull is not a fun movie. No. Um, okay, so my number five, four, I'm going to go with Mean Streets. Mean Streets is really his first big movie. He made one or two before, maybe just one. Who's that knocking on my door? I think that was his first full feature-length movie. He might have made one more before it. But um, Mean Streets is uh, is a crime movie, but it doesn't... And in a lot of ways, it doesn't feel like a crime movie, even though it's about people in crime. But it's more... It, it really kind of feels like a hangout movie. And I would say the main plot of it is Harvey Keitel trying to deal with the fact that his friend, Robert De Niro, is a really stupid person and a loose cannon who makes terrible decisions, but he's his friend. So Harvey Keitel keeps trying to defend him, get people to give him a little slack, trying to talk to Robert De Niro to get him to be more socially acceptable, to stop being such an idiot. And he just won't do it. Uh, You know, I think we've all had friends like that at some point in our lives, (laughs) but it's an incredibly entertaining movie. Um, I know Chris has talked a lot about the fact that, Scorsese is kind of obsessed with Catholicism Mm -hmm. and religion's uh, role in the lives of terrible people like mob people. And this movie is very much about that. There's a recurring motif that I love that when Harvey Keitel is feeling guilty about something, he just kind of sticks his hand in a fire, like on a candle or something, as like penance for what he's done. So So it's Scorsese showing you his guilt without actually having him talk about it. It's a really good movie. Yeah. And it's uh, De Niro's first film, too, and he's pretty good in it. And you you always still wonder what's a mook, you know, after watching that movie. <laughs> what's a mook? Yeah, but Mean Street's really good. And speaking of religion, that's my number four from, from Scorsese. It's The Last Temptation of Christ with Willem Dafoe. Um, I just saw this movie recently, and it knocked my ass down because it is so interesting. Imagine, imagine a movie uh, about the life of Jesus, and it shows the perspective of him questioning things as a man because he was and he has these doubts he he has these opinions and i think it's really interesting that a a strong catholic man like scorsese that's such a big part of his life goes and asks those questions which seems almost blasphemous and that's what he does in the last temptation the things he shows that are like you know prevalent in the bible not to get super religious but like when jesus is tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights it shows that in such a such a real interesting way where the devil is tricking him throughout the whole movie as well and is shown as different sort of symbols and it doesn't heavy handed it doesn't really have the heavy hand of like the apostles and the the disciples it's about Willem Dafoe's Jesus character which I think is really well acted and it's mostly his relationship with Harvey Keitel's Judas as well and how Judas I think was more in I guess portrayed as um, more of like a cunning kind of person who's out to like you know you know, go against Jesus. The movie actually shows how Judas was friends with, really close friends with Jesus and how he was looking out for him, which is very interesting. It it has a lot of interesting questions. And, you know, me being Catholic and growing up too and reading, watching an interview with the Scorsese in that movie, uh, I really resonate with his thoughts on Catholicism and how it impacts our lives. And I, I think he really knocked that movie out of the park and the ending is insane. I did not see it coming at all. And it's very interesting. I think everyone should watch it. Yeah, I really want to see it. I admit I still haven't seen it. Um, This movie, I grew up in very religious Christian household, and this movie is very infamous for Mm -hmm. being, like, very not biblically accurate, which I would say now is a good thing because, you know, the Bible's not exactly exactly known for character development or nuance. Like, it paints very broad strokes because it's a religious text. 
So I, I'm very interested to see what exactly Scorsese adds. And I'm my mind is blown that Harvey Keitel is in this movie. Oh, yeah, he's <laughs> in it. so weird. Best believe it. He's just like, hey, uh, you know, so my buddy Jesus, you give me 40 pieces of silver. <laughs> Come on. Come no. on, you know, 40 pieces. Don't give me this 30. He keeps questioning uh, Willem Dafoe with a knife and saying, if you don't follow, the, if you don't follow your mission, I'm going to stab you. He keeps saying that in the movie. He's really pushing Jesus to fulfill what he was supposed to do. It's really interesting, actually. I got to watch it. Yeah, but really good stuff. So what's your top three? Oh, my number three. I feel like this might be my more controversial pick. I'm not ready. <laughs> the, the, people like this movie, but I think I think it's a little lower in a lot of people's Scorsese rankings. But I love it. It's uh, the movie that a lot of people just call uh, the Goodfellas knockoff. But I don't think so. It's Casino. Ah, Casino. I just recently watched it for the first time, and it is an electric film. It is so much fun, and, and I think really the the main reason that people and this thought isn't. Um, isn't original to me. F this movie, which is my favorite podcast, recently did an episode of Casino. But oh, cool. the host of it, Patrick Bromley, said, I think the main reason that people compare it to Goodfellas so much is really just the Joe Pesci character. Because yes. he plays a very similar character in Casino that he does in Goodfellas. Just a crazy guy who is totally off his hinges, off the rails, and uh, he will just do anything. And that's... It's weird seeing Joe Pesci become such a powerful mob boss in this movie because he's just this tiny little dude. But I believe it because you clearly he's a guy who is willing to do anything. And if he doesn't like anything that you do, he will just he will do something horrible to you that's insane that you are not expecting at all. And um, and Robert De Niro plays a uh, someone someone of a different character than I think he plays in a lot of Scorsese movies because he's very mellow even keeled but he's still a terrible person and um sharon stone i think gives a phenomenal performance in this movie as robert de niro's wife and and she definitely seems crazy and awful in this movie but i really feel like it is robert de niro's fault because Mm -hmm. she warned him that like it's probably not gonna work out and he said okay if it doesn't work out like you know we'll get divorced and i'll just set you up for life and you know you got nothing to lose but he doesn't do that and she wants out so bad and he like won't let her go because he's so terrible but this is an awesome movie it's so much fun it's 3 hours and um, every moment of it just rocked for me yeah like, I, I always remember the the joe pesci spoilers joe pesci death scene in the fields oh man gosh that scene always will stick with me cuz it's such a subtle scene i do feel like this is one of scorsese's most violent movies yeah. which is saying a lot apparently that that joe pesci that is like covered in blood that they're burying yeah. that's an animatronic it's oh, not Joe that's Pesci. That's so eerie. Yeah, eerie. I guess Joe Pesci didn't want a bunch of dirt thrown in his face. <laughs> or the man won a Best Supporting Actor uh, Oscar. I'm sure he didn't want to do anything he did have to, I'm sure. <laughs> I guess. But uh, yeah, you also have James Wood as a, pump, as a pimp in that movie, too. Yeah, and I got to admit, when you said that was your favorite performance in the movie, like, I don't understand that. <laughs> I just think but, James, like, he's good. He's I, fine. I would say it's one of my favorite James Wood's performances because it's just so okay. crazy. It's nice seeing James Woods get beat up. Yeah, and he's such like a sucky man too. Which oh, is he's funny. the worst. He's like a shrill man that you just hate, and you're like, wow, that's pretty good to make me like think you stand out. When like De Niro's character is like, I think the best in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, yeah, this, I didn't see that coming. I, I I knew you really liked that movie, but I'm glad it made a good impression on you. It's good stuff. Yeah. My number three is a recent rewatch. It's King of Comedy. Oh, um, that was the one that might have been my top five, uh-huh. but I switched it off for After Hours, but uh, I love King of Comedy. You know, call, call it because I recently saw it, but man, when I watched it, I was like, Scorsese, you freaking genius. Oh my God, this movie's so funny. It's so 
relevant, I would say. I think like a lot of movies say like, oh, this movie's relevant for its time. It and is, stuff. Though. But it is. It really is. And I think it's better than Joker, too, even though Joker tries to copy. Oh, it's infinitely better than Joker. <laughs> uh, let's see how many people stop listening now because of that. But King of Comedy is really good. Robert De Niro plays this... Uh, I, I don't want to say he's mentally enabled or not. I think he's just really... I think he's a very naive man who's a, who's a stand-up comedian or is attempting to be a stand-up comedian, and he idolizes this talk show host uh, played by Jerry Lewis. Yeah. And uh, Jerry Lewis is really good in this movie, too. And he's basically trying to get on his show and also trying to launch his career as a comedian. That's basically the whole movie. And then you follow Robert De Niro trying to convince himself he's part of this lifestyle when he's really not at all. And it shows kind of like the problems with idolizing people and like stalking and, and just the problems with the show business. Because at the end of the movie, it works out really good for De Niro's character. Um, which is, uh, I mean, sort of, so, I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. You have to, you'd have to do some time, but at the end he does get the fame he does want. Yeah. And, I love that the whole movie, uh, you know, he talks about, he's a stand up comic and that he's really good, but he never actually does stand up comedy and no one, we don't get to see him do it. But when we finally do it, it's kind of shocking. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. I think it has one of the best reveals of like near the end of a movie I, yeah. I've seen in a long time. Robert Pimp Pumpkin. Pimpkin. Uh, Rupert Pimpkin. Rupert, Rupert Pimpkin. And I think that's such an interesting name for your protagonist, too. <laughs> yeah. So, King of Comedy, so good. Please watch it. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it so much. Yeah. What's your number two? I'm really interested to hear what your number one is, too, so I want to hear these. Okay, like, my number one and two pr could probably be Switch, but I'm going to follow my heart, and I'm going to go the way that I think is correct. Um, my number two is Taxi Driver. Good. Uh, Taxi Driver, I, re I just recently rewatched it again. And it's brilliant. It's one of the best movies of the 70s. It's one of the best movies about um, toxic masculinity and lonely men. And um, and uh, there's some race. There's things about racism in the movie, too. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting that he seems to, like, he hates the people who live around him so much. Like, he does hate his own class. Like, he's a poor person, mm -hmm. but he hates poor people. And he often, and he also, like, he clearly hates black people, too, even though he never actually says it. But so often when he's talking about, like, the scum and the filth, yep. like, he's not looking at white people. And it's this little hint that Scorsese threw in there. Yeah, he's like uh, he's like Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. <laughs> oh, I guess. <laughs> um, but it is such a bleak, dark, in. Like, people talk about how, like, Joker is really dark or it has so many transgressive <laughs> things to say. Like, it does not hold a candle to the bleak darkness and the violence and the cynicism of Taxi Driver. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's an incredible performance from everyone. I even love Albert Brooks in the movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. Love yeah. it so much. Good. I'm glad when you saw it, you rewatched it. I was so happy because I wanted to hear what your new thoughts were on it. Because you hadn't seen it in such a long time. Yeah, it's been a few years. So, good. Uh, my number two... Uh, Goodfellas, obviously, uh, it was the first Scorsese movie I ever saw, and I think I can quote almost most of that entire movie, just by the times I saw that movie as a kid. Uh, I love Ray Liotta in that movie. Uh, it made me want to watch more Ray Liotta movies after, but once you see his filmography, there's not too much, and it's also not too there's great. There's some, though. <laughs> but there's some, yes. I would say Copland, he's not that bad in either. Have you seen Something Wild? It's a Jonathan Demme movie. Oh, no. Is he in that? It's a great movie. It's a great Ray Liotta performance. Oh, yeah. I didn't know he was in that. Oh, there you go. The Jonathan Demme film, who also did... He also did Sounds of the Lamb, I believe, too. Yes, in Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. I always forget he does that movie. Um, but yeah, Goodfellas is in there. I don't think I can need to talk about too much about it because, I mean, we all know what Goodfellas is. Uh, but 
that's probably one of the fastest run times for me. I think that movie runs so quickly. It does. And uh, I really love that. So Goodfellas is my number two. What's your number one? Is it Aviator? Uh, no, I'm just going <laughs> to jump in on this conversation because my number one is Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, let me ask you right off the bat. Uh, <clears throat> Goodfellas or Godfather? Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, I can't. I really can't. Okay. I would go Goodfellas. I can't make it. I can't choose between those two. Um, Goodfellas is one of my favorite movies. It's just one of the most entertaining movies ever made. It's just blissful. It's it's constantly funny. It's also intense. It has really scary moments, particularly from Joe Pesci, because like like I said, he's a lot like his casino character in that he's a complete loose cannon who will do anything, <laughs> absolutely anything to you if he doesn't like you. Um, yeah, it's my favorite Ray Liotta performance. It's maybe my favorite protagonist performance in a Scorsese movie. I think he's just amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just so much fun. And it's brilliantly made. Like, I, I realize the style calls attention to itself because it's so stylized, but I love all of it. It's just awesome. Yeah. No, I, I always love the up the upbringing for Henry, what like, things he describes. Like, you and know, that kid looks a lot like Ray Liotta. He does. <laughs> he's wearing an oversized suit, too. Hey, Ma, I got a suit. Oh, my God. You look like a gangster. But you know what? When she found out that the that Paulie and his family are from the same part of Sicily as her, she to her, that was the world. That was everything to her. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that movie is so quotable. That movie is so good. That soundtrack, too. Every Yeah, right so when good. that Tony Bennett starts playing in the oh. beginning. Oh, man. <laughs> yep. So great. Uh, man, I still keep thinking like Godfather Goodfellas because like man I love Goodfellas but man I love Al Pacino and because he's in Godfather I love that and I can't make a choice but no that's good Goodfellas is number one for me number one is Taxi Driver so Daniel and I have it swapped the reason I love Taxi Driver so much one Paul Schrader the freaking genius in writing that script yes he is um, I love all the side characters in this movie Harvey Keitel's in it you have a young Jodie Foster as a prostitute which is very creepy uh, and then you also have uh, Peter Boyle, who was the father oh, yeah. Frank in the Everybody Loves Raymond. He was in an X Files nominee, Emmy nominee performance. Um, he's also in While You Were Sleeping too. Yes, he is. And I love Peter Boyle. Yeah, Peter Boyle is great, and he plays Wizard, who tries to be a mentor to Travis Binkle, but I mean Travis doesn't listen. He just tries to get Travis to relax and enjoy his life a little, but he just won't do it because he's so miserable. I don't yeah. know. And you know what? Call me such a film nerd. When I was like 17 or 18 when I saw this movie, rented it at Family Video. Shout out Family Video. Um, I kept watching the You Talking to Me scene. I just kept watching it over and over again. And then the <laughs> little inner monologue where he talks to himself about like what he's proclaiming to the city of New York. Uh, I love that scene so much because one, it shows how idiotic he is and two how dangerous he can be too in believing these things also when him talking about his training and every muscle must be tight i try to follow that regime it's never worked for me <laughs> but uh now taxi driver is a perfect movie i can't really knock anything about it at first when i saw it i didn't care for the ending as much oh yeah the ending is confusing yes first. but the more i watch it the more i like it because it's up to interpretation and you can say whether that happened or it didn't happen and I like to think it did happen, and Travis, for a small part of his life, actually became something he wanted to be. I I struggle with that because I, I thought it might have been a dream, but the thing is, I just don't think the movie tells you anything to think it's a dream. I, I think, and I, I may have read something from Scorsese where he said something like this, so I think I may have read it, but... I think it's saying that like sometimes men who do horrible violence can be socially acceptable in our culture... And it's only a matter of time before they do something horrible again. Yeah, 
Oh, that I like. I mean, the last shot where he like restarts the the, the meter um, the meter on his taxi driver is almost like we're gonna do this again. Yeah, you know, he's like trying to save the city on his own morals, I guess, one yeah. bit at a time. Uh, yeah, I can't really just talk bad about Taxi Driver, but I can talk about it all the time, I guess, too. Uh, I, I've seen that movie like three or four times, and it's it's always better each time. I love the so- the score. The score is one of the best scores I've ever had. I think it rivals Alien from Jerry Goldsmith. is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, I love the score. Um, I just love the smooth, jazz-infused Acid Rain vibe that also has sometimes really hinge see- uh, moments of like loud music when something in the movie happens, like Jodie Foster coming into the taxi for the first time and stuff like that. And the movie's really, what I really like the most about it, it shows Travis isn't completely a bad guy. Like, he wants to fit with society, but being a, a, a war veteran, which is no excuse, I feel like, for his behavior, but, you know, having that struggle to get back into society and having insomnia as well, um, and just the, the, the kind of lifestyle he's chosen as being a tax driver, you probably see some pretty messed up stuff. He can't differentiate what's right and wrong, and he only does a justification that he has made for himself. Yeah, I think for a while you think that maybe, uh, maybe he's a guy that who's just misunderstood or unfortunate, and you can get behind him. And when he goes on a date with Sybil Shepherd, you think, well, maybe he can improve his life. And yeah. it's when he takes her to the porn theater that you're like, oh my god, something yeah. is seriously wrong with him. What is wrong with him? Sybil Shepherd in that movie, though, uh, she's lovely. She's very great, and I love her her friend who's helping with the uh, Albert Brooks. Yeah, I, I love that. He's just so funny. <laughs> yeah, I love Albert Brooks. Yeah, so uh, Taxi Driver is uh, my number one. Uh, Data's number one was Goodfellas, so there you have it. Uh, what are your favorite Scorsese movies? We'd love to hear uh, down below if you want to tweet at us there. Dan, do you have anything else you want to say about Scorsese? Um, I just need him to make a list of all movies and tell me which ones are cinema and which ones aren't, so I know for future reference. All right. Oh, by the way, Scorsese is a big fan of Hammer Horror, <laughs> just so you know. There you go. Hey, um, off the top of the the, the dome right now, uh, one Scorsese movie you you want to rewatch, like like or you haven't seen. What movie do you want to knock off? Like, what's that one Scorsese movie? Like, I need to see it. I need to rewatch it. What are those? Uh, that I need to see. I think right now is Last Temptation of Christ. That I want to rewatch. I really just want to watch Goodfellas right now. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's always been Aviator. I've always wanted to watch. Like, I've seen parts of it and I just got bored and just didn't finish it. Me too. And I really want to. And I want to fix that with Aviator. But I don't, I don't know if I can do it. I'm not a big fan of young Leonardo DiCaprio. Like once he got older, like I like him better. But yeah, I don't know. Like I feel like until he was like 30, he still looked 13. <laughs> There's something very unfortunate. But now he looks like an adult. Yeah, and you know when I go for my rewatch, it's gonna be The Departed. I I know it's considered one of his best. I don't care for it much, and I, I need to rewatch fine. it. I just need it's to rewatch a, it. It is kind of just an inferior Goodfellas. Yeah, I do really enjoy um, Jack Nicholson in that movie though. Yeah, he's good in that. Uh, but yeah. Thank you, Daniel, for coming and talking about Scorsese with us. I'm so happy you could come on this podcast. Thank and, you. And where can we find you again? Uh, you can check out my podcast at uh, cobwebspodcast.com or check us out on iTunes or most streaming platforms. Um, we're on Twitter at cobwebspod. Uh, we talk about Vincent Price, Hammer Horror, um, uh, Universal Monsters, and the stuff that took influence from those. And you can find me personally on Twitter at Epler Daniel. These days I'm tweeting a lot about Star Wars, so look out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when are we getting a two and a half hour Scorsese Star Wars movie about the gangs of this, the universe? I, I hope never, no, honestly. No, no, we won't get that. <laughs> no, but thank you, Daniel, for, for coming on and talking about this stuff. And thank you all for listening today. Uh, I, I hope to hear some uh, thoughts and opinions on the Scorsese stuff uh, from all of you. On uh, I guess film Twitter is like the hashtag for it, so... 
Uh, thank you all for watching, uh, listening. And if you want to check me out as well, I'm also on YouTube at the Hurtastic Reviews. I'll put a link of that down below as well. Other than that, thank you all for listening. Thank you.